don't try to grow intentionally try to get a million followers right like don't be just display your stuff that's it that's all anybody could ask for you're gonna drive yourself crazy looking at the followers and likes which i am still guilty of just do your work do your work and and uh you'll get there for sure Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast brought to you by the Polar Pro Studio. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and today's guest is filmmaker and podcast host, Ariel Martinez. Not only does Ariel do freelance filmmaking and cinematography work, but he also hosts the iFilmmaker Podcast. On the podcast, he's had incredible guests such as Caleb Pike, Ryan Connolly, and yours truly. (laughs) And on the podcast, he talks about gear, filmmaking, and the freelance life. In addition to his podcast, he also is the creator of the wildly successful Film School Instagram account with over 650,000 followers on it. And in my conversation with Ariel, we talk about why it's so important to start a social media account, even if you don't want to become a, quote, influencer to help your freelance life. Ariel has built a large client list and he's been able to do full-time freelance filmmaking in Miami, Florida. And I think anybody who's listening will learn something from him. Before we get to that conversation, I want to remind you guys to check out polarpro.com and see some of the incredible new filters that we've been putting out. The brand new Peter McKinnon VND version two filter setup is so legit and I've been loving the mist edition filters in particular. Basically everything you love about variable neutral density filters are there with the addition of some incredible diffusion that makes your footage look even more creamy and cinematic. We've also added hard stops to each stop increment with the VND. So as you're changing your ND strength, you have hard hard stops to let your mind and body know exactly where those stops are taking place. We've got a bunch of other amazing filters on there for pretty much every camera you can imagine. So make sure to go check it out at polarpro.com. All right, without any further ado, let's listen to my conversation with Ariel. All right, so here we are today with my good friend, Ariel Martinez from Florida. It's also from the iFilmmaker podcast. I was a uh, guest on your show a couple of months ago and he heads up the amazing uh crazy huge ridiculous instagram account film school thank you ariel for being on the show today thanks for having me man it's a it's honestly an honor it's an honor <laughs> after seeing all your other guests and that you've had on the show it's an honor to be here for sure well it's an honor to have you man and it's been a long time coming we've had uh some ups and downs i've moved three times since we talked last and uh you know here I am in LA. Last time I talked to you was in OC. Uh, for anybody who doesn't live in California, that's Orange County in LA. They couldn't be more different. It's like a different state between those two uh, regions. I was but. even wondering what OC was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just a different kind of culture, beach life. You know, way more chill, relax over in Orange County than LA's like city life and Hollywood and all that garbage. But, um, anyways, we're happy to have you on, dude. How's it been over the last couple months? I've been seeing you've been working quite a bit, so I'm excited to talk yeah, about. Man. And it absolutely yeah it's been insane um and good thing that this is not a video podcast because everyone would see the bags under my eyes <laughs> um but it's it's been non-stop and you know i'm extraordinarily grateful for that you know there's nothing else i would rather be doing you know in terms of a job than what i do so yes it's tiring but it's also extraordinarily satisfying as well so that's it's a huge blessing for sure. Heck yeah, man. So for anybody who's listening, who's not familiar, Ariel is an incredible documentarian, filmmaker, DP. Uh, you've worked on several commercial uh, productions. Um, you've been doing this for what, over a decade now. Um, and 
Yeah. So tell me about yourself and what your kind of projects are right now going on uh, for business. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty much been uh, over a decade. <clears throat> I started my business officially, like actually making money for the videos that I make in 2013, but I had been doing video for longer than that. So much long before that. Um, and yeah, it, it definitely, uh, I, I, uh, I used to be a athlete before that. I was in college playing football at the time, and I picked up my laptop, started editing videos, fell in love with it, then started shooting the, my videos. <clears throat> and uh, it was fun. It was just so much fun. I did it for many years, and, um, you know, finally. And I never had a business mentality in terms of, like, doing it for money. That was never the intent. It's just I loved it. So I did it for my church for many years until one of my friends. My original idea was to become a police officer and then go into federal law enforcement, which is why I got my degree in criminal justice. And then one of my buddies said, you know, why don't you just do these videos for, for money, you know? And, um, so I, I spoke to my pastor and a couple other pastors and which are my mentors. And, um, you know, they thought it was a phenomenal idea. They saw that I had a passion for it. And then, you know, they felt that it was definitely a, a good route for me. So they, you know, they gave me the blessing and everything is just nonstop. That's where it all started. And that was 20, in January 2013. I started the business. And, you know, from there on, it's just nothing but learning and growing. <clears throat> and so, yeah, it's um, um, most of my work, I would say, currently is a lot of it's like 50 50, 50 percent one offs where a client needs me to shoot something here in Miami, but they're just not from Miami. So they they'll either come down. This is even pre COVID. So they'll, they'll come down and just hire me cause I'm a local or they'll just hire me to shoot something and send them, send them the footage. Um, but then others, I have other clients like with a lot of recurring work. Uh, you know, I, um, my my clients once or twice a year will hire me to shoot some product videos for them another one just hires me to come into their office they have an ad agency so they subcontract me on certain jobs that they need me to head the video uh, the video department for and i'll come in and sort of manage and direct that um basically anything along the lines of sort of, sort of documentary filmmaking uh, what I love to do, I, I, I don't remember the last time I shot a wedding. Like I don't really do <laughs> events anymore. And, uh, well, that's for a good reason. That, there's, there's not much of that going on right now. So yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that, that is true. Um, crazy. That, that is very, very true. But you know, even then, like it's just little by little, I continue to continue to go toward the niche of what I enjoy doing and what I get hired to do, really. So uh, about a year ago, you were featured in a, San a Sennheiser ad, too, by the way, which like I saw, and it's pretty legit. Tell me about <laughs> tell me about that process and how did they discover you and get you in that, that commercial? It's pretty sick. It's got like over 200,000 uh, views on it. Uh, so my buddy Julian Jari is Sennheiser's uh, his client, and then they reached out to him and they asked him, um, hey, you know, we're looking for, we want to, <clears throat> this was Sennheiser's attempt to not, because Sennheiser Audio has been a part of the film industry for the longest time. They they have their G3 wireless units that are amazing. They're very popular. Now they're G4s. Um, but Sennheiser has never actively promoted uh, 
audio for filmmakers. They've never mm. put their stamp, their place in the market. Yeah. And this is how they explained it to me. So this was Sennheiser's first time actually making some commercials, some advertising and things like that to really put their mark in the filmmaking industry. So they have three units. They have the G the G series wireless lavalier systems. Those are very they popular. Have, I mean, right, very very popular. Uh, they have their AVX system, which is in the middle. Those are the ones that I use, and they also have their the I forgot the the model, but basically the 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 cheaper ones that are more uh, comparable to the Rode Wireless Go. Yeah, I have Mi- those. The Labs. X something. Right. Right, right. So that's Sennheiser's X sort of SW. Right, that's Sennheiser's entry level wireless lavalier microphones that are small, small form factor. They're really good. Um, So those are the three tiers. So they wanted me to promote the AVX since they know that I use it. And Julian sort of brought them toward me and said, listen, he uses them a lot, which I do. I have several of those units i still stand by them i use them a lot um so that's one of the things that sennheiser wanted it to be genuine they wanted people that actually use them and so uh, they flew me out to new york to do some shooting for the promo it was done by uh, human being media and it was so much fun because you're in, in on this set and i've been on sets like that before but you never like i felt weird because julian and i were were there and we didn't know what to do we it was usually we're on set and we're like yeah. either directing or yeah. kind of doing something right but you have this whole team of people they had catering it was a big production exactly it's the other way around it's never flipped and on you like that it's never flipped like that and then how was the talent <laughs> it was so weird yeah yeah and the funny thing is i had to show up with my gear too so i had to show up with uh you know at the time it was the gh5 and the audio unit and the avx on it and whatnot uh but i had to show up with my gear ready to kind of showcase which is what you saw in the video and then you know they, they pulled out the big guns for those productions but it was so much fun it was That's a lot of fun awesome, dude i love it <laughs> yeah yeah, and one of the things that I love is that they didn't have to put words in my mouth. Everything I said was my own. Mm. Like they didn't give me they didn't feed me any lines. Yeah. Everything I said was what they used. So did you grow up like with a passion for filmmaking or video making? Did you like a lot of us use camcorders and stuff and make stuff with your friends or was Never. it something you discovered later in life? something i discovered later man wow i honestly growing up i never considered myself a creative i kind of still don't but and Mm. i could explain that but um i never considered myself creative at all at all and um you're you are creative i mean like you're you're really selling yourself short here (laughs) well i i let let me explain that let me explain please so Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah even today i don't consider myself a creative right to me my definition of a real creative right and not to rag on anybody, like, I don't want to insult anybody, but, like, sort of my definition of the real creative people are the people that have done stuff that have never been done before. So I think the the culmination of my entire work is a result of what I've learned on YouTube, what I've seen other people do, and I sort of replicate that or kind of put my little taste on it to kind of give it my own style, whatever it is. It, call that part creative? That's fine. But it's a culmination of what's been done before. I think that the creatives are the people that that kind of made that stuff happen. 
you know so the first people that started messing around with shallow depth was shallow when shallow depth was never a thing the people that first started using gimbals when gimbals weren't a thing the people that had the idea to to put a camera up in the air and get those kinds of aerial shots you know and yes there's very little to be explored or is there you know those are the people that really push the limits and push the boundaries that kind of set the pathway for us you know to kind of use uh -huh. and make a business out of it you know mm. so i consider those people the real True okay. creatives, the, the people that see things very <laughs> unique, uh -huh. you know? That makes sense. That makes sense. Good. So yeah, that, that okay. I, but, I, I know it gets a little too deep there, but uh, it's, uh, no, that's I, kind of the way that I sort of see it. Well, I see, I, I agree. I can, I can see that, but there's also the flip side of like, there's people who couldn't even do what, what you're doing in terms of you're, you're learning and then you're executing and you still, you are obviously creating stuff. Um, and there's a lot of people who listen to this who might, who can probably relate in that they, um, maybe, maybe the creative term has been reserved for like the high bar, like the high class, like Casey Neistat's of YouTube. Like he's a, he's a creative cause he is an inventor and he's invented this new genre, but obviously not everybody is like that. And every single one of us is a creative. Like when you, de when you decide to make a sandwich for lunch, like you're creating something out of bread lettuce tomato and meat like so when you, when you put your clothes you're, you're on in the morning you're creative i think you're, you're talking about creator and creative right I so see, you can I be see, a I content see. creator right <laughs> sure so you could be a content creator yeah but like for example casey neistat's a really good example he took vlogging and he made that thing so popular now everybody wants to vlog like casey neistat yeah that's a creative Casey Neistat is genuinely creative and that's what kind of catapulted him to how big he is now because he made he did something in such a way that nobody was doing it in that fashion before. Does that make sense? So Totally. When I see Casey Neistat, he's a creative person. When he, the things that he thinks about his style, his delivery, the way he handles his camera in his vlogs is something that everybody wants to emulate. So when people do that, now they can give their own flavor to it you know maybe they want to polish it i don't think casey nice that polishes anything <laughs> i think <laughs> it's he intentionally shoots. yeah he's yeah he's such a experienced and skilled filmmaker that he doesn't really think about it it is something that comes out of his creation process where he turns the camera on and he intuitively knows how to compose the shot because his intuition kicks in and he doesn't even have to think about it his storytelling is so good that he can wake up in the morning and invent a story and it's brilliant because he's a natural. So, and that's fantastic. That storytelling aspect is a huge part of is, that. Well, let me ask you this then. Uh, is, is that creator or creative thing that, that you're talking about? Is that a God given talent that nobody can ever achieve? It's something that you're given as a gift and you're born with, or is it something that can be learned over time that can be honed over time? Um, I know, you know, there's lots I of think, musicians yeah. out there who are very successful. I I always thought of like the Black Eyed Peas, for example. I never really liked their music. I thought it was kind of subpar. But he, like, Will I Am is a brilliant businessman, and I feel like he designed the music around a great business. And some people would argue that he's a musical genius. That's fine. But like, you can kind of force your way into if you work hard enough. But I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think it's a mixture of both. I do believe that some people are naturally born seeing things completely different. 
Mm. Like when you look at things and you don't see like this is why I like the the movie A Beautiful Mind, right? That movie is awesome because it shows that kind of what I'm trying to relate. People see things differently. When they when somebody's location scouting, right? If you come with me location scouting, you and I might see things relatively different, right? Somebody else might see something completely different in sort of a frame when they're thinking about composition and framing. But I, I do believe that some people are naturally born born with natural gifts. Now, here's the difference, though. And I think the best way I, I can sort of explain this is in, in football, right? So I had I had the the honor and opportunity to play with T.Y. Hilton. T.Y. Hilton's currently a wide receiver in the NFL. When I was playing at FIU, T.Y. Hilton, we're both wide receivers. T.Y. Hilton is a beast. T.Y. Hilton is one of those people that did not have to train too much to get as good as he did, right? He was naturally gifted. Now, the thing is, what what catapulted T.Y. Hilton to the level that he is now is the fact that not only is he gifted, but he also practices and hones in on his skills. And that's what makes him great. Now, there's other people like myself that I don't think I was born naturally gifted in athletics, but I do know and that when I was in high school, not after practice, I was practicing. You know, I was putting in even more and more and more effort because I really had a goal to make it to the next level, which was college football division one, to play some football. But I had to work even harder than anybody else. It did help, you know, my height and everything. It, it definitely was a was a help the the six three, but I had to work even harder. You know what I mean? And there's so that's where I, I feel it's the same way in in creatives. I think that people are born creative, but if you continue to hone in on those skills, you're gonna be an amazing creative person. There are some people that are not so much that are not as creative naturally. However, if they keep practicing and practicing and learning from other people that are creatives and other, you know, continue to learn this industry, this continue to flex their creative muscles. Eventually, you're going to get to a place where now you're making stuff that no one's making before. You're going to get to that spot if you continue to do it long enough, you know? So I kind of, that's how I sort of see the whole thing. And yeah, there's some people that are natural, some people that are not, but it all depends on is your natural creativity, is that enough to alone to take you to the top? I don't think so. I still think you need to practice, but, and same, so same thing with music. Same thing with everything, I believe. Yeah, I had a fr- I had a friend who is a well, a mentor of mine when I was in high school. He uh, tutored uh, high schoolers for like their exams, like uh, the ACT is what we took in Tennessee. And uh, he said to me, he's like the people that there's two types of kids. There's kids who are um, who work really hard, who study hard, and they get good grades. And then there are and then there really are these kids who are naturally smart and talented, and their IQ is high. And he's like, I actually, in my experience, tutoring, tutoring those people is is way harder because they don't listen as much. They they feel almost entitled, and so they don't <laughs> they don't try as hard because yep. they're born with a natural gifting. And he's like. It's it's exactly what you said. If 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 you're born with a natural gift and you put in that extra time and that extra effort, um, that's when you see excellence. And I would I would argue that even in the worldly sense, one person might get better grades than the other, or one might go to pro football and the and one isn't. But in your own personal like experience, it's really about 
what are you personally doing? Are you actually trying to give your best to everything you do, whether that's, uh, you know, physical uh, exercise, if that's uh, spiritual, if that's your your career and your job. I feel like even in the jobs that I've had where I hate, you know, shoots that I've gone on that are just super boring, I try to remind myself I need to do this with excellence because for my own, for, for myself, I mean, it's just so important to do those things with excellence. Can you speak yeah. to that? That de- that definitely applies. That definitely applies, and all that stuff. And that's a great example that you gave because I myself was not a really good student, mm-hmm. right? I for <laughs> me, me I was yeah. I was extremely average all the way through. I was like I was like <laughs> I, I would average I would even a say B student. I'm, that was me. Maybe uh, a couple C's even. No man, I I was even well below average. I gotta admit, <laughs> like I'm I'm dead serious. I struggled. Here's the thing. I wanted to play sports. And this was back in middle school. I wanted to play sports so bad. That's when I first picked up basketball. Basketball was actually my first like real sport. Um, I, I wanted to play so bad, but I didn't have my first year. I was ineligible to play middle school. All I needed was a 2.0 GPA. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. I couldn't even get that. Yeah. So what I started doing was intentionally go up to every single one of my teachers. I had like seven teachers. I think there were seven periods. I asked them, how are my grades looking? And this was my sixth grade. I couldn't make it because of my grades. Seventh and eighth grade, I made sure that I stayed eligible. I went up to every single teacher. How are my grades? Not good. Okay. What do I need to do? What extra work can I do? And that was me intentionally going above and beyond, making sure to stay eligible so that I can play. After that, I've never been ineligible. It's nothing that I ever worried about. But I do have to pay focus a lot more than the average person when it comes to schooling, right? When it comes to calculus and all that stuff. No, I, it, I'll, I'll admit that's not for me. That's well, not my thing. Well, I let have me, to focus a lot more. Well, let me ask you this then, because for me, I struggle with the business aspect of the creative industry and being self-employed since I was 14 years old. That's been my biggest Achilles heel is I'm awful with budgeting my money. I'm awful with like even... Even things that are things that would make sense that would benefit me, like sending an invoice. Like I've had clients remind me like two weeks later, like, hey, by the way, uh, you haven't sent us an invoice yet, so we can't pay you. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. no. So I know that that's a little extreme, uh, and th- but that's just my reality. And I've I've had friends tell me that, I, you know, I need to get a manager. I need to maybe get a business person, a, a bookkeeper or something. Um, and I've also had people say, just man up and do it, you know. But uh, – do you find do you find that to be the case now that you're an adult like are there things that you just don't like doing that you don't enjoy doing that you struggle with I don't not like me <laughs> okay no 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 not at all like no no, no. yeah i mean it, it it is what it is i think that it, it all if you're going to start a business, you're going to have to have a business mentality. You're going to have to go in and know what it takes to do this. Now, for me, when I started my business, I didn't know everything. I had to literally learn as I go. But as soon as I found out, I have to pay taxes separately. Wow. I need to make sure that I'm putting money away. It's a, I think it's a sort of a discipline thing. Um, it's gotten to the point where I literally do not watch TV. I don't watch anything. Like, Every my spare time, if I'm not shooting, I'm editing. If I'm not editing, I am researching. I'm doing my books. I'm doing a bunch of different things. Or you know, now I'm actually like I'm I'm having even less time for that. So I might have to sort of hire somebody. And again, if 
my my mentality if i don't have any time for it that means that i'm working a lot and if i'm working a lot i'm making money so i kind of have to make sure that um i'm putting people in place that can start handling that stuff now but yeah i i think it's more of a discipline thing especially as a freelancer as a freelancer you have to have even more discipline than a regular full-time employee because this is your business and if your business fails this is your livelihood you know so i i i I, I feel if I sit down to watch a movie or a series or something, you know, some, I still do, obviously, but it, I, I always, in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, did I get everything done that I needed to get done, you know? Um, and you're like that. If you're, if you're clocking in and out, you never have to worry about the work because that's, you, you do that while you're clocked in. But when you own your own business, mm-hmm. you're going to work, you need to make sure that that's successful. So transitioning to Instagram, uh, at film school on Instagram has over 650,000 followers and yet you still don't have a blue check mark. What's the deal? Um, but it's an incredible account of, um, can I say gear porn? Is that okay? Um, (laughs) but that's its own kind of genre on Instagram. I'm just kind of going through here. There's some great memes. There's like great behind the scenes shots. If you're a filmmaker, there's a great shot of uh, of a guy holding a red Komodo with some Yeezys that uh, looks a little familiar. That's my f- uh, picture. Um, <laughs> tell Is me. It? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that was right. mine. I think I tagged yeah. you or something. But yeah, tell me about this account and how you got started with it because in a lot of ways, it's like one of the go-to filmmaker BTS gear uh, accounts. It's an aggregate account, and it's just so fun to follow. And I love all the content um, that you do. And, and you're the you're the man behind it. Tell me about it. Uh, yeah, man. So film school started when I basically started my business, um, and it wasn't for any business purposes. Did you get that handle right away? Right away, it was available. Wow, so I was long, surprised. How long ago was that then? This was 2014, maybe. Okay, so it was a little early for, which is good. Yeah, 2014, maybe. Um, yeah, it was. It, it started as an attempt to get connected with other people because, again, I didn't do this my whole life, so I didn't know anybody that was in this industry. So it was more as an attempt to get connected with other people that sort of liked cameras and stuff you know so i started posting at first (laughs) it took me maybe a week a week i started posting all the gear that i had and Mm -hmm. that was it (laughs) (laughs) i had nothing else to post i'm like man i have nothing else to post i already posted everything that i have (laughs) um (laughs) that's great um but even that one week it got some pretty good traction so i started reposting other people's stuff like check out this guy's camera check out this guy's rig and um and a lot of people just came just for the other gear and honestly it was really stuff that interested me as a newcomer as a beginner as a you know i wanted to see what other people were shooting on you know and i wanted to see what other people were were uh using and it was a good way to ask questions as to you know how do you like that filter you know, does it work for you? What about that handle? Whatever it is, I think it's a good way to do that. Um, so that's how it started. That's how it started. And it just continued to grow and grow and grow. And it it's, 
you know, it's gotten the attention of just a lot of people. I've been able to, through that account, a lot of opportunities has, has risen. You, I got to meet you and, you know, a bunch of uh, different other organizations and companies, and I was able to do a lot of collaborations with them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And like with that, essentially you've, the great thing about these types of accounts, um, and it's probably harder to do it now than it was even just a couple years ago, but these aggregate accounts, it's such a great strategy to grow if you put in the work, because if you share somebody's content, chances are they'll share that you shared it. Like they might even post on their stories like, Hey, look, film school shared my, my photo. Yeah, they do. And it becomes this hierarchy like a a pyramid scheme almost of like okay now that this person shared it their three thousand followers see it and then they click on it and then they go to your account and they're like hey wait a minute this is great content i'm gonna i'm gonna follow it's just it's a great obvious i mean i'm saying a lot of things out loud that are kind of obvious but if you're not familiar with instagram like it's a great strategy to grow if you're willing to like have an aggregate account like this that's not just your own stuff how do you deal with the kind of the rules or the copyright situation with this account none. like what are the what are the rules on instagram about this there, i mean there's none that i know of is there um, like an underlying rule of at least give credit to the you know the originator of the content or? oh absolutely that is my own rule that's something that i've always done from the beginning i've never ever posted anything and not say who it comes from. Um, every owner, and I even go, you know, if I see a post today, even I'll see and I'll notice this is not the original owner. Like sometimes I'll notice this is an account that kind of does the same thing. They're just reposting other stuff. So I'll go and check that um, who they're tagging. Unfortunately, sometimes they don't tag people. Like unfortunately, I've seen com- I've seen accounts that are similar they don't tag the owners. I found accounts where my followers have actually tagged me on accounts that have been posting my stuff, right? Like, look, I don't get offended. I just go in there and add a comment. Hey guys, maybe you'd like to, you know, tag the original owner. So anyways, but I'll go through, I'll, I'll follow the chain of tags. It was posted by somebody, then posted by somebody else. And until I find the original owner, and then I'll, I'll go ahead and post it. If I don't find the original owner, most of the time I don't post it. Um, or sometimes th- if a person's not the original owner, they'll post something like um, DM us for credit. Like, let me know if this is yours because they just can't find who, who it belongs to. Sometimes I'll do the same thing because like the trail kind of gets cold and I, I can't trace it back to anybody. So um, if I only do that if it's that good. Like I really want to post this, you know? I would imagine that... So another way, if you're not familiar with Instagram, is like if I were to post a gear photo, I'll tag you, I'll tag like five or six, maybe even like the maximum would like 15 people on the photo. And that, like I've done, like if I have a Canon camera, I'll tag you and then like 10 other 
canon related accounts and usually one or two of those people will share it which in turn grows my my followers which grows theirs blah 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 i would imagine that like your notifications are like off the chain (laughs) oh my god how do you even do you even navigate it like if somebody tags you do you even see it anymore I kind of don't. <laughs> I really don't. The best thing to do, if anybody is listening to this, you'll have insight. The best thing to do is to tag me personally. I I, I usually see those. The Ariel but for film school, account. yeah, uh, yeah, it's uh, at Ariel Martinez Films. But no, for me, uh, it's way too much. <laughs> way too much. What and are we talking again, like? A hundred, a thousand, ten thousand, a day, a day. Oh, like, a day, a day. Couple hundred a at, day. No, no, at least a hundred, at least a hundred. Jeez, that's insane. And not, not to mention the actual messages that come in through the account. And that's another thing, guys. Don't try to message me through film school because it's not gonna happen. <laughs> uh, it's not gonna happen. Um, do you if, do you uh-huh. take time to go through those and look? I mean, it, I would imagine that there would be occasional gold there, but it, you're probably better off just searching for stuff yourself right yeah no it's yeah no yeah it's i always usually just search it for myself um but i do i like i'll search hashtags um what i will do is i'll go through so you know how instagram it allows you like it it allows you to see in grid format all your tags yeah instead of going through uh um, so that's a little bit more digestible way to do it exactly so i'll just look at it as if i'm scrolling through a different feed and i can see uh, in grid format, all the tags that I've been tagged in. So it's a good way to start. Um, but, oh, look, this is a good one here. But, uh, yeah, it's it's easier to, to take in all that information, you know, rather than going in, one message coming out, going into another message coming out. That's just way too time-consuming. So business-wise, how have you utilized that account? And do you recommend doing something like this to to fellow freelancers out there. I mean, obviously, like you mentioned, there's, there's been connections made. Um, yeah, but has it become a little bit of a burden for you while you're also doing freelance or do you have a strategy behind it to like with brand deals and things like that? Have, have those opportunities come up to you to do brand deals? Um, so I don't, I have, so, uh, there's a couple things there. So in terms of business strategy, no, I don't have a business strategy. Um, I just, uh, <laughs> I really don't, it's not really monetized at all. This is where the whole, I'm not technically, I was, I'm not a natural business person, put it that way, right? <laughs> Everything I do now, I learned. And um, because I love what I do and I have a passion for it, I had to learn to be a business person so that I can do it for a living, right? Um I wouldn't say I have a passion for social media, but if it means that I can continue to do what I love to do and communicate with other people and kind of be in this whole community of uh, filmmakers and meet more people, then yeah, I'll get to do social media. It's fun. But to have a business behind that, um, not my cup of tea. I think it's an interesting topic because you you kind of like struck gold with the with the account and you're choosing to follow, you know, your passion in, in filmmaking, documentary uh, work. Uh, you talked about a film you, you're wanting to work on. And I think a lot of people, especially now in this culture, like they they might think, oh, I have to be active on social media. I have to create a YouTube channel. And that's just not true. Like you really don't have to. And here you are with a great opportunity 
with that account, you could really monetize it if you wanted to, but you guys are choosing to do freelance. Are you one, are, if, if money was no object and you had a magical genie in front of you, mm-hmm. would you want to be a full-time content creator on Instagram, YouTube, or would you want to be a full-time filmmaker behind the scenes, you know, freelance or whatever, just making movies? It, that's it's it's a hard tell like i i think if money was no object i would just make my passion projects yeah you know um <laughs> so i would filmmaker. constantly you want to be I, a filmmaker. filmmaker yeah absolutely i would okay. definitely pursue the stories that i want to tell and yeah. because to be honest like i feel like you know that's what i've been put in this earth to do yeah. you know and i think that the best way to do that is it's great that i have a following and a platform and whatnot but um <clears throat> i think that once you know I think I've been given that so that when the films are created and that are made and that I want to do, I can show it to somebody, you know? Totally. Yeah. Um, you have an audience of people who are like-minded in filmmaking tools, especially. So you can utilize that audi- audience to uh, create your own following and create your own fan base and stuff. So um, with that, you have started your own content with the iFilmmaker podcast. Let's transition into that. Another yeah. aspect of your career and part of your business. You're all over the place, man. You got so many uh, streams <laughs> of rev- revenue, so many uh, layers to the onion here. <laughs> yeah, man. The podcast was because the YouTube thing didn't work out for me. <laughs> the The whole reasoning was that, I mean, you, you must know better than most, um, how much time it is to be dedicated to maintaining a good YouTube channel. Yes. Yeah. It's a a living, breathing thing and you have to constantly be maintaining it and learning how to maintain it better because things are constantly changing on a daily basis. Yeah. So, so actually this is like the answer. The podcast is really the answer to your previous question. Mm -hmm. The podcast is really a compromise for me. I can't do the YouTube thing, but I do want to create content. I do want to share. So I came to the podcast because it's a lot more easier to maintain, as you must already know. Um, It's much easier to only worry about audio and to put out (laughs) an audio episode a week or or something like that. Um, But... Man, it was so easy when I first started. I was doing three episodes a week. That slowly <laughs> came oh, down uh, to one. By yourself was, or were you getting guests on? Uh, I think it was by myself, mostly by myself. But then I had a guest and then I, I stayed with guests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just like... It's a little harder to get guests because you have to line everything up with schedules and stuff. But Exactly, exactly. But then, you know, you have to... You have to uh, Think of the content, subject matter, because yeah, we could we could just get on here and just rant, right? And I think it'd be fine. It'd be it's it still be a good it'd be a good podcast if we just get in here and just start going back and forth and just have a casual conversation. I mean, that's what we're but doing right now. Oh yeah, no, no, absolutely. But you're guiding us through you're guiding us through through some sort of uh, uh, I guess sure. bullet points, right? Yeah. We talked about career. We talked about YouTubing. Now we're talking about podcasting. I mean, Instagramming and all that stuff. Yep. <laughs> there, that that even that is a plan you know you have to have yeah, some right, sort of yeah. thought into it you can't just get in here and and just start talking about whatever but you have to understand you have to have a basic understanding of the kind of information that you want your audience to have you know um if there's a current event the latest camera that just came out anything 
Uh, but yeah, you have to have some sort of guidance, but even in within, like if we're going to talk about Instagram, let's talk about Instagram, you know, um, have some sort of guide. Well, with the iFilmmaker podcast, you've had some incredible guests on the show from Ryan Connolly to Dave Mays. I'm just kidding. Um, but, <laughs> One of my best. <laughs> but yeah, uh, let's see. I'm looking through here. We've had some incredible guests on it. Matt you, Johnson, like you said, Caleb Pike. Yeah, go down the Love list. Love those me. guys. Yeah, man. Yeah, Caleb Pike, Mike, Matt Johnson, Joe Simon. Um, oh, Joe Simon, I remember him. He's great. Yeah, that was one of my earlier... Well, I feel like it was an earlier episode. It was so long ago. Um, still working on getting Philip Bloom. I feel like... Uh, I feel like... Uh, I met him at NAB. He wanted to get, come on the show. He's actually had heard the show before, which is awesome. Um, but we have to line up our scheduling. And um, just you know, a, a ton of just awesome guys. And I've met Ryan Corral from Studio Sherpas. He has a great podcast as well, um, uh, which I'm going to have him on the show soon. I'm about to have Gerald Undone. Yes, uh, he's great. He, uh, I don't know his last name. I know he's not Undone, but that's what everybody calls him. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, yeah. So basically just going down the list of, people that I feel would add value to my audience, you know, and, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, now I'm trying to get a little more focused in the subject matter. Now I'm a little more freelancer centric, but like for, so for example, Gerald Undone, like I'm not asking him to come in and talk about freelancing. I'm, I want what I, what I plan to like sort of guide us through is, you know, what is another option that people can have, you know? So in, ter in terms of YouTubing, so what his process is like, because I think he's phenomenal at the content that he creates. So. so while we're on the topic of gear, I would love to talk about the FX9, the Sony FX9 that you <sighs> recently got, right? The baby. Um, so for any, this is the gear talk, all of our listeners here, they're used to me talking about gear, but um, for those of you who aren't aware of the FX9, if you're familiar with like the a7s line of course you know that's wildly popular but that's a hybrid camera that's designed to be a stills camera and a video camera although the new a7s 3 is m way more video than anything but it it is still a vi uh, uh you know built around a hybrid body whereas the fx9 is a true cinema camera the specs on it are incredible it's a full frame sensor so that we're talking not super 35 like most cinema cameras but it's a 6k full frame sensor it's got all the same kind of like autofocus uh features from the hybrid camera so the autofocus is amazing but you've got built-in nd filters you've got xlr inputs you've got time code you've got all the things that make it a true cinema video camera Tell me about your experience with the FX9 and how it has been a part of your, your career as a freelancer. And um, do you recommend it to people who are willing to spend $10,000 on it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it 10? I thought it was 11. It's, yeah, it's 10,900. So yeah. 10,000. Right. Yeah. Man, I got to tell you, and let me just put it this way. I'm just blown away by that camera. That camera... And I know that everyone says, including myself, says the camera doesn't matter. Uh, you know, better gear doesn't mean better work, right? With all due respect to all of that, I think that still applies. In this case, and I'm going to explain in a second. In this case, for me, this camera has made me a better 
filmmaker has made, allowed me to provide better work. And I'm not only talking about image quality. So let me explain. I've always done manual focus for as long as I could remember. I'd always done manual focus. And it's really just really the, the focusing here. So because I, I know that every time I go out and shoot with the FS7, right, with any other mirrorless camera that I'm with, I'm going to end up doing manual focusing on the lens itself. Um, and therefore, I got really good at it. I got really good at it. Whether I'm following somebody, whether I'm tracking an object, whatever it is, I always did manual focusing. Uh, but Sony has improved their autofocus so much, so much, that that is one less thing that I have to worry about. So in the past, I would if, if I wanted to get a really cool slow motion tracking shot, I would have to do three, four, five, six takes to make sure that I get it in focus, right? Because it's a tracking shot. It's it's not easy to kind of sort of manually focus your, your subject, you know, especially depending on the movement, it gets really tricky. And there are some shots that are just out of the question for me. I can't get anybody running toward the camera. I can't, you know, I would rather not have anybody moving toward the camera while saying dialogue and trust that I can sort of roll that focus in such a way of if I'm not at 4.5, 5.6 f-stop, there's no way I'm going to do that. Um, so it has opened up a wide range of different shots that I had previously not been able to do. I wouldn't even consider certain shots because I just know I wouldn't be able to keep that focus or it's going to take me too long or too many takes to get certain shots, right? And I'd, I always opted to let me get more shots rather than certain shots, right? Because certain shots would just take too long to, to sort of get. Anyways, enter the FX9 with such great autofocus and... I made the decision to no more adapted lenses. I want all native glass. Now, <clears throat> I can stay at f1.4 f-stop and get anything, any type of tracking shot that I want and, and, and nail that focus on the first try, uh -huh. right? So the result is I can still get many more shots, but now I can also get shots that I would never previously consider. Because it was so hard, I would sure. know that it would be hard to do it with a tracking focus. But um, there's a lot mm -hmm. of people probably yelling and saying, well, the A7 III has been able to do this. The Canon system has always been able yeah. to do this. There's plenty of hybrid cameras out there that have great autofocus now. What's the big deal about it? Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. Let me... Because that, that's, the F, that's the FX9. I feel the same way about the A7S III. Exactly. The A7, the same Why? exact thing. But like why, so yeah, exactly. So the autofocus is amazing on the A7S III, but what is it about the cinema line for you personally that you, you have to still go to that uh, as a professional? Is it is it the extended record time? Is it the better, you know, codec? It's, is it's, it the built-in NDs? Honestly, honestly it's, it's the demand. Mm -hmm. It's none of that. It's simply the demand. Um, so you're getting hired because of the camera? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Great. In the freelance yeah. world. That's the Those only reason matter. I picked up the FS7. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the only reason I picked up the FS7. I was never really a fan of the FS7 color, right? Um, if it was just for my own personal preference, I would have picked up the G the the G2. There are so many G2. That would have been my go-to camera. But 
I found myself being hired for the FS7. Before I bought it, I was renting it and renting it and renting it. And documentary freelancing, there's the FS7 was in high demand. It was an industry standard. Yeah. So I picked it. I bought it. It kind of it kind of was the upgrade to the C300 that unfortunately Canon dropped the ball and didn't. Uh, the C300 Mark II was fine, but it was expensive, and at that point, the FS7 already made its mark. So right. Yeah. 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 So the FS7 was a very industry standard. So, so same. You know, is that the same the case right now with the C500 Mark II existing and the FX9? People are still going to the FX9 because of the Sony ecosystem. Um, I, I I think it's always there. Like so, I think man, in terms of my own experience, they're like right there, both of them. They're like right there. So sometimes I'll have clients that will ask, hey, we we need um, a FS7 or C300 Mark II, whatever. Either one would work. Um, and sometimes I've had only Canon and sometimes I've had only Sony. So it's, I, I don't, I haven't tallied up the votes. I haven't tallied up. <laughs> so ideally. If I did, they'd be in much faster. But, so ideally, uh, as a freelancer, it'd be sick to have a full Sony kit and a full Canon kit so that when you get that call, you go, oh, yeah, I got both. Which one do you want? <laughs> uh, I guess, yes. But no, I think in my experience, in my experience, the reason why I went with Sony is because people that were looking for Canon were not willing to compromise with Sony. You know, um, I'm sorry. The I think it's the other way around. People that were looking... People would be able to compromise more if you had a Sony camera. The, FX, the FS7, yeah. Right. So I think it was more beneficial to go with that in that direction. Like if they were looking for Canon, they were fine with with uh, with Sony. But sometimes there wasn't very many times where people that were looking for specifically Sony... Um, would have been okay I, with I, Canon. Probably. Or maybe I just didn't offer it. <laughs> it well, might yeah. have, they might have been i just never offered it but because i went with sony i always offered sony i mean i always offered yeah sony and the canon seekers were always okay with that uh but it's um it's so that's, that's just really the reason why so what do you think about like there's people listening who might want to do what you're doing and, and be a freelance operator and a dp should they buy a camera is if you can't afford it like is it still No, absolutely it, not. It's still absolutely not. very common to rent for for shoots most Continue to rent. That's how I, the only reason I bought the FS7 is because it was I was getting so much demand for it that it made sense for me at the time. And it paid itself off quick because the demand didn't stop. So when That's, when you say it uh -huh. paid itself off, do you charge a fee to use your camera when you show up on a set? pretty much yeah so i have uh i have i sort of break my 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 uh payments i guess my my rates down to and this is my own internal sort of breakdown i don't really show this to the client but i break down my own price for me to show up then i kind of separate everything else separately like the camera the audio the um the uh, teleprompter if they need it the drone if they need it the whatever it is they need it's all separate to me but everything when i show it to my client it's kind of one price when i give them a quote really 
uh-huh. when I give them a quote. It's built um, into the price. It's built in. So the the price that they were they're paying for the FS7, it kind of pays itself off. That's really cool. You know, so after a certain amount of jobs and sort of you have to do the math. How many times this year did you get called for this? If you buy the camera now, it'll pay itself off what? A year, two years, whatever it is, uh, depending on how many calls you're getting. But one thing that I did notice was the fact that I got so many calls and I rented it so many times. And I and I look back at the year's income is, man, I spent a couple, two, three thousand dollars on rental for the FS7 that I could have just pocketed myself, you know? So that's where it made sense for me to purchase it. And so even before purchasing the FX9, because I was a little hesitant, but because I was going to trade in the FS7, I wasn't really going to sort of pay out of pocket fully, at least. Um, I asked many of my clients and I asked them, hey, if you were to hire me for the FS7, but I told you I only have the FX9, is that something you're still willing to go for? Every single one of them overwhelmingly said yes. Well, yeah, it's an upgrade. It's, it's a newer it's camera. An upgrade. It's better, like, yeah. yeah, so... That's so, what uh, yeah, I did. They're all probably like, "Oh yeah, yeah, of course, man." Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So I basically future-proofed my clientele in the sense that I knew I know that pretty soon, and it's already happened several times where clients are asking for the FX9. That's great. Perfect. I'm ready for that. For that. For that, that income like- of. That was actually smart of you to call and to to talk gear like that. I think a lot of people who are are renting right now, they're working with a handful of clients. Maybe that's a good recommendation and a good way to almost pull your clients and say, "Hey, I'm looking at purchasing this this camera. I work with you a lot. You know, I rent these these cameras or or we rent them often. Would you be willing to, you know, if I purchase this and I build that into my cost, is that something that you're willing you know, to work with. That's a great way to to figure out if your clients uh, would be stoked. And I would imagine that by doing that in their mind as a client, they know that you're just ready to go. Like every time they call you, they know that you've got your full set, you've got your lenses, your lights, your camera. They don't, as a producer, they don't have to even think about the gear anymore. It's just like, oh yeah, hire Ariel. He comes with everything. This other guy he has to rent, you know, so right, right. we're going to go with Ariel because we know he's ready to go at a moment's notice. Yeah, that's what I did. Like, and, and yeah, that's essentially how it is. And not only that, like this whole change in equipment has really motivated me to sort of change my entire, and we can get into a whole nother episode on this, but my entire structure of my business. So on top of that, like I like I mentioned a second ago, I I got a nice teleprompter. I got a director's monitor that some sometimes my clients ask for it. I don't want my client off an iPad wirelessly. I want a legitimate director's monitor. But I factor in like I don't just go and buy the most expensive thing. I buy the the product that is priced at the level that I'm willing to invest in it according to the demand that I've been receiving for it. Does that make sense? So I'm not going to go buy a $2,000 monitor. I'm not getting that much demand for it. So I went and bought a four or $500 monitor that is nice and big enough so that when I do get a demand, I can just add a little extra to my invoice. Does that make sense? So different things like that. And, um, it's, it's kind of sort of how I, I structure my business, uh, structure my business, really. 
it's just amazing now that you can get a cinema camera that's got all the kind of hybrid things that we've loved and in it you know you've got the the stabilization in post too using catalyst brows you've got oh yeah that's the amazing. Uh, the crazy autofocus um but you get the amazing color science the much higher bit depth the raw recording and then now with the a7s3 like mm-hmm. Is it worth getting the FX9? Is that, again, just a professionalist thing? Like, you want to go with the FX9 because this, it's more pro? But the A7S this, does everything. Oh, my gosh. The A7S III, I've been having so much fun with it. He's holding it in his hand right now. So. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I, I'm so used to my podcast where I, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm showing it. But this camera is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um. So yes, the A7S III, and I've already been shooting externally raw. It checks off just about almost all the boxes. To be honest, like the only reason to get the FX9 is if you want the built-in NDs, really. Um, other than that, for me, it's just demand. So what I do now, I barely shoot with the FX9 now. I love the camera. Don't get me wrong. I love the camera. It's an amazing, amazing camera. But the less I risk it, I don't like. I don't have to risk it unnecessarily on set, you know. Because if there ever comes a time that I ever want to sell it, like I did the FS7, it'd be in really good condition. So that's like the whole reasoning behind that. The A7S3 though is extraordinarily capable of doing any job that I need in terms of image quality. In terms of image quality, they're like. It's there, guys. So if you're an A7S3 owner, if you're considering it or you're leaning on the FX9, the price difference does not mean anything. Like, don't use the extra money on uh, accessories for the A7S3. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's uh, it's probably my favorite camera right now. And I don't own one. We only reviewed it and had to give it back. But um, I would consider buying one if I needed it. But where I am in my life right now... Um, I'm provided all the gear I need. Yeah, um, yeah. And I don't. Yeah, really it doesn't need... make sense to buy something right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, if you can get it's it kind of it's kind of silly for a gear reviewer to buy cameras because it's like it's just an endless cycle of new new cameras coming in and out all the time. So it's like might as well just shoot on what you're reviewing, you know? Yeah. So, but yeah. With yeah. that being said, the C70 from Canon, we are looking at purchasing at Indie Mogul and making that our uh, workhorse. I feel like that checks a lot of the boxes for us. It's small, uh, got a flip screen, and it's got the autofocus, but it's uh, got the Canon color and all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. uh, and Phenomenal camera. Phenomenal camera. That camera, it, it looks awesome. It really yeah, does. I'm excited to review it at least. I think it's going to be yeah. really nice. It's not coming out till December, but... Um, so let's just, uh, in closing here, like we've talked about your three kind of like sources right now you've got the film school account you've got iFilmmaker podcast and then your freelance work um it's a lot of stuff there's people that are listening that can relate especially to your freelance world i think we have a lot of freelance shooters out there with the podcast and with the instagram stuff is this something that you would recommend to do to to further their freelance career like you're doing as a DP, as a cinematographer or a photographer, or should they just focus on building those connections locally and continuing that? Like if you were able to start fresh right now with a clean slate, what are your recommendations as a filmmaker? Yeah, so absolutely. Yes, I do recommend um, not more the podcast, but I do recommend being on social media and being active. 
a lot of people ask me, have you gotten any work from social media? And I've always said, not really. But the reality is, is that I kind of have, and I just haven't seen it in that way. It's indirectly. Yeah. It's indirect. Yes. And I just signed a a cool contract with another client of mine, of somebody that actually listens to the iFilmmaker podcast. Um, They just happen to be a listener, but they also just happen to be, to be heading the video department for a very, very big company. Um, And they got me on board and that was pretty awesome to do. Um, But anyways, my whole approach to Instagram, you'll never see me offering videos to anybody on ins- on social media. I don't want to be salesy. I don't want to say, if you need any videos, contact me. I, ha- I hate that so much. I always discourage everybody from doing stuff like that. It is so off-putting to be sold to, in my opinion, right? Um, so my whole approach is, I'm just reminding people that I do video, you know? And therefore, when the time comes, I've had people that I went to high school with, I haven't seen them in so many years, say, hey, I see that you're doing video. My company's looking for video. And I've, it's basically, it's just a reminder. That's all you got to do. Show your behind the scenes, show your cameras, occasionally show, show your, your finished products. But to be honest, some people don't, don't uh, engage with your finished product for whatever reason. Just they have just a like, website at least, you know, with just your work ha- on right. it. Like you've got. Well, yeah, no, a hundred percent have a website. Have a website to display everything. So in case a client's looking, you could show them. You have a place to direct them to. Anybody that doesn't have a website is like, you guys must not want to be successful. Like, a website is business one hundred and one at this point. Like we're in twenty twenty. Seriously, a website is and Instagram is not a website. Get a a proper website. I've had some friends that I asked for them work. It just just look at it on Instagram. It's like that is not guys. Get a freaking website. It is cheap as heck to have a website. Get a website. Um, there's no reason why you shouldn't. But anyways, arielmartinez.tv to check out his. Yes, that's that's mine. And again, you won't find too many words on my website. Just if just you video. like my work, you just got content. my stuff. Yeah, you have my contact there. Um, but um but yeah absolutely start your business learn and grow that's the biggest thing learn and grow because you will have opportunities whether that comes from word of mouth google ads uh google searches or just instagram or social media the point is that when the opportunity arises you're going to be prepared to tackle that project so just be prepared it's going to come in what some people slower than others but it's going to come the work is going to come um but definitely, yes, I absolutely recommend social media. Um, and don't like, don't try to grow intentionally, try to get a million followers, right? Like, don't be just display your stuff. That's it. That's all anybody could ask for. You're going to drive yourself crazy looking at the followers and likes, which I am still guilty of. But, um, but yeah, just do your work, do your work and, and uh, you'll get there for sure. And if you're passionate enough about it, you'll absolutely get there. That's a great way to end it. Thank you so much, Ariel Martinez, for being on the Golden Hour Podcast. We'll have to have you on in the future. Yes. Talk more about other things. For Um, sure. Go check them out again, arielmartinez.tv or Film School or uh, your own Instagram page, which I think is, was it Ariel Martinez Films? Ariel Martinez Films. So awesome. Thanks so much, Ariel, for being on the podcast, and I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. See ya. 
I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Ariel Martinez. Again, go give him a follow on social media and on his website. We'll link it in the show notes below. And if you have any requests for the Golden Hour podcast, would you mind sending me a tweet at Dave Mays or on Instagram at Dave Mays underscore and let me know what you want to see on this show. If there's any guests that you have or any ideas for this show, we're looking for as much input as possible. I want to continue to grow this show and make it better and better each week. So make sure to uh, give me a follow and give me a message. DMs are open everywhere. Once again, I'm your host, Dave Mays. This is the Golden Hour Podcast brought to you by Polar Pro Studio, and we'll see you next week.